The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. If you are anything like so many of the executives that listen to our show and you think about expanding your business, growing into other marketplaces, you might wonder, how is it that we figure out exactly what marketplace we want to expand into? Which are the growing marketplaces? What trends are the ones that we should be following? How do we make sure we're on the leading edge of those trends instead of the lagging uh, edge? And... And how do we just make sure that we make these critical decisions in the best way we can? So to answer those questions, Omar Ruiz. Omar, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, you know. Uh, so you and I know each other uh, personally for a long time. Uh, we we work together. We're we're uh, we're in a mastermind together. We're in the same business. Uh, so you know, and I, I just have been impressed with your guys' ability to put your finger on some. Uh, opportunities in, in markets that are pretty far away from where you uh, appear to operate, where you live. So uh, I wanted you just to share what some of the things are that you do and how you do it. Uh, and that's it. And I just wanted to banter about that for a little while. So uh, what's the secret sauce to moving into a different territory? Well, Joel, you know, uh, in, in my real estate investing, I've been successful in identifying some of these cities in these growth markets, um, and that's primarily what I focus on is on growth markets. Okay, I can take advantage of the increase in values and the rents over time. Okay, and you know cities grow because of the populations are expanding, and that's always related to existing businesses that are creating jobs. But it's also due to the creation of new businesses, new companies, and especially existing companies that relocate into other areas. So because I'm a cash flow real estate investor, it's important to me to buy in these real estate markets that are growing. But it's also important for me to get into these markets prior to them being saturated by other investors who can overpay and even inflate the prices. So I'm trying to get in there before the whole herd comes in there. So the practices that I use to identify these growth markets are universal to any business if you're looking to expand and grow your company outside of your of your normal territory. Now, and, and what I'm going to share here, it's assuming that you already know that there's demand for your 
product or the service that you offer and that at a, at a basic understanding you have a you know you have basic understanding of the demographics of your target market okay so things like the incomes you know whether you're a, it's the pricing whether it's a high priced item or service or low price um, the age group of your target market you know if, if, if you're selling a product or service for seniors and you're in a college town probably not going to work, right? Uh, households, you know, if your product is for, you know, singles or uh, younger generations and, you know, it's you're in a market that's mostly family oriented, okay, that, that's going to be a mismatch. And then there's also co something called psychographics. And psychographics, that's about the attitudes and behaviors, you know, associated with your target market. You know, maybe you sell a product that's geared towards more creative types of individuals, maybe more, you know, innovator types of people versus a, a product that's like standard everyday use kind of thing. You know, Omar, let, let me ask you uh, on this topic of psychographics. I, I wonder if psychographics have expanded at all uh, because of the tremendous political divide that we have in the country. You know, our are is the marketing messaging changing based on where people live and, and go uh, i mean are, are these measurements changing or because it's it, attitudes have become so polarized that uh, you know it's really an issue for companies and so and, and almost nothing you say gets away from some part of a of a polarized topic yeah no you, <laughs> you know that's a that's a great question that you that you bring up there, Joel, and absolutely, you know, attitudes and behaviors, especially for the younger generation, you know, it's, uh, it's, it can be a touchy subject, you know, I, I try to stay kind of uh, neutral on a lot of things. And I think, um, you know, for, for certain businesses, that's probably a better approach, but, you know, for, for some businesses, that's a little bit more difficult. It's, it's kind of a, uh, that's kind of a, a topic and an issue that you really have to maneuver, um, you know, very carefully, you know, because you say the wrong thing and it gets taken in the wrong context. And, uh, you know, you can have a, uh, you know, a, uh, a public relations, you know, mess on your hands. So, yeah, it's definitely something to consider. No doubt about that. All right. So what so what are the big things that uh, companies need to think about if they're going to relocate into a new place? How do they well, examine? I mean, you already mentioned uh, there has to be company growth. There has to be existing company uh, relocations and growth. New companies have to be starting so that there's job growth, population growth. How do you, you know, find uh, sources that are probably less known than more known? Because you, you kind of want to be looking at things that are probably a little different than most other people, I imagine, right? Yeah, abs absolutely. So, there's kind of two overviews to this. You got the 30,000 foot overview, which is you're comparing now states and cities. And then you have the more localized over market overview where you're looking at the cities and the suburbs. So in the 30,000 overview, you're looking at more of the population statistics. Okay. And you know, you know, cities and states where you determine what is the minimum population you need to get a enough market share for your product or service to be profitable. You know, so like for example, in my, in my regards, where I'm looking at apartments and, and rental real estate, you know, I, I got a pretty wide range. I could look at, you know, populations that are as low as 200,000, which are more what are called tertiary markets. 
to populations as, as big as a million, a million plus, which are major cities uh, and, you know, big, big city centers. Uh, but it's also, it's very product related. You know, for example, let's say that you're a company that sells farm equipment, okay? You're going to be more geared towards maybe rural areas that are probably not going to have massive amounts of population. So it's going to be product related uh, in that 30,000 foot overview, you know, those population statistics. And you can find that information through the census website at census.gov. It's uh, that's a you know huge resource where they have tons of reports, statistical analysis in there, and that's kind of a high level um, um, source there to kind of start pinpointing things down. You could also look at the website, the Bureau for Labor Statistics, and that's bls.gov, and in there there's tons of statistics and reports on employment, jobs, you know what are the jobs that are in high demand and that type of information. Those are two great resources there. And, and then if you want to get to get, if, now they're government websites, so they're not always the most uh, user-friendly or easiest to maneuver. Uh, but if you want to get some quick information, you know, Wikipedia, if you look at, you know, Wikipedia will give you, you know, population stats, uh, climate and that kind of information. And there's also a per, uh, another, a pretty popular website called bestplaces.net. You go on there, you type in the city, um, and it's and it'll give you information. So, so let's say let's I mean, let me listen. You know, people can go to these various websites, but what are you know beside familiarizing themselves with a new place, uh, you know, and the climate of the new place and the kind of the basic, base, the way that that city makes most of its money. Beside the basics of of a, of a thing like that. What kinds of things, because remember, we're always looking for the inside track here, you know, it's, what is the, what is really the intel that people are looking for that they're reading between the lines about, you know, what, what really should they be looking for? Okay, so this is where you start getting now into the local market, the over, you're getting into the, uh, you know, the weeds, so to say. So when I'm looking at an area, I want to know that there's a significant amount of job growth coming into the area. You know, if a company is going in there and they're going to add 10 jobs, 20 jobs, you know, that's not really going to move the needle. So I want to see that there is significant job growth coming into the area. Okay. And, and, you know, the, the population always follows the job. growth. So what, what question do you have to, in other words, when you do a query into a database or, or otherwise, how do you uh, get it to predict job growth? Which means predicting uh, because uh, job growth is is a is an indicator of people moving into a place. I mean, is, is what you're saying. Um, how do you how do you predict job growth? When predicting job growth, there's kind of three three stages to that whole thing. Okay, so the first part of it is what is called the job announcements. Okay, and that's when a new company is coming into a town or there's new investment from an existing company that's building up. So they're making these announcements, say so-and-so company is going to be coming in and, you know, building a plant or whatever, and they're going to create so many hundreds or thousands of jobs. Okay. That's the first stage. And that's generally the stage where I start 
digging deeper into the research and, and trying to find out exactly where they are, the streets, and, and that's that's where I start my research. And then at the second stage, then you have the job creation part of it. Okay, and this is a process, uh, the process of building the plants, creating the work environments, put together the management teams and the relationships and et cetera. You know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're gearing up now. You're gearing up to do business. And then the third stage is the job fulfillment stage. So now you're posting job wanted ads. Okay, you're interviewing people and now you're doing the hiring. And, and those three stages, you know, it doesn't happen automatically. It can take, you know, over, uh, you know, from a year to a two-year period before that plan is at full, you know, employment. So, and there's, here, and let me give you a couple of resources here that will help you kind of uh, um, determine, you know, where, where that job growth is happening. Okay. So first off, like I said before, the population is going to follow the job growth. And the two, two major moving companies put out this report. So North American, they're a major moving company. They put out their migration report every year. And then you have U-Haul, the U-Haul moving company. They have these migration trends reports. Okay. And now what happens with U-Haul, so if you can imagine, if an individual is going to move, say, from California to, you know, Texas or wherever, okay, there's usually what what happens with these companies is that they'll get a glut of trucks because more people are moving from one area to another. And so they price these things accordingly. So do you know that right now it costs a person four times more to go from Los Angeles, California to Austin, Texas, than from Austin, Texas to Los Angeles? You know, that's exactly how cruise ship, how uh, freight, uh, freight traffic on the ocean is is that it costs a lot more money to go from China to Los Angeles than it does when they go empty backwards yes, from LA to China because some of the, we have such an imbalance of trade. And, and so what you're saying is we have an imbalance of migration. And so they have to bring those trucks back mostly empty. And so they, uh, buy, you know, that, that's how they do it. That, well, that's, see, now we're starting to get into something very cool. Say, um, well, that, and, that, and that's why they charge you so much less to take the trucks back to Los Angeles because they, they have a glut of them over there in Texas. So, so in, in, a, in a funny way, if you started measuring uh, pricing differentials between uh, destinations, Correct. that almost gives you a little bit of a clue. When you've got a two, three or four time differential, uh, you know what the migration pattern is, whether you do any other research or not. Very interesting. That, that's a really a cool thing. I have a couple of questions about this. When you're doing a job research, are, are you factoring in white collar versus blue collar? You know, because yes, uh, well, that, that seems to beside the fact that it matters on the the, the like for for you in real estate how, how much you can charge for rent and what areas you're going to be doing. But uh, there are some other factors that come up, and I want to get into it. So how how do you think about that, and how do you figure out which one's which? Yeah, that, actually, that's that's a great question because you have what is called the job multiplier effect, okay? And so whenever a job is created, that job kind of creates a couple of other complementary jobs, okay? It's this whole concept, they call it kind of like the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker kind of thing. And, you know, certain jobs have a higher multiplier effect, okay? Like I'll give you an example. My background is in aerospace. I was a quality manager for a 
couple of machine shops that made airplane parts and, you know, parts that went, you know, in, in SpaceX uh, products. And uh, um, I worked on some very cool projects, the Airbus A380, largest aircraft out there. And so we would hire, you know, high level engineers and inspectors. So those guys have a higher job multiplier effect because an inspector, he needs specialized software to do his inspections. He needs people to help him out to do the inspections. He needs specialized tools that have to be calibrated. So now there's another job created for the guy that has to calibrate those tools. So certain other high salary jobs have a higher multiplier effect. So if you're seeing, you're going into a market and you're seeing more of those types of jobs, you, then you're going to see the, that job multiplier effect multiply versus, uh, it, it, you know, for, for me where I'm renting, I, I'm buying apartments to rent to, you know, the general marketplace out there. You know, we, I can have jobs anywhere from, you know, a, a warehouse worker, you know, he's probably not going to have a, a, a major multiplier effect to, you know, people working in, you know, fast food restaurants and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's how you can, you know, well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, the, what you're calling a multiplier effect, which is, which is absolutely correct. Economists call indirect, it's mm. direct growth and indirect growth. And, uh, and so what you're talking about, every single person, even even a warehouse uh, worker uh, uses, uh, takes their stuff to the cleaners, goes to the supermarket, yep, exactly. uh, you know, buys a lawnmower, buys gasoline, goes to the store and buys parts for their car, you know, or whatever the things are that they do. And every single one of them creates this velocity of the money moving through the economy. And, and actually, that's what makes economics is so very complicated is that a single dollar coming from a single person can make 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 stops along the way. It just keeps going, 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 going. And then if you stop and think about it, of course, the government takes the piece of the action at every single stage. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. We're good at that. <laughs> so that, that, is, uh, that is, okay, so that's a fascinating thing. So you're able to uh, examine whether they're uh, blue collar, white collar, uh, what the job growth is, and you kind of have an assessment about the multiplier. So the higher level jobs create a bigger multiplier. Of course, there's probably more lower level jobs. So you you have a lower multiplier, but you still get the effect because you're multiplying, uh, you know, because there's still a lot of people doing it. Here's here's another, this is kind of a curveball question, and I don't mean to throw you off your game here, but okay. uh, just coming out of this pandemic and, and the whole work from home thing, uh, is it possible now that, you know, a company comes in town, creates all these jobs and the jobs are awarded to people who are working from home in other parts of the country, destroying your entire model. Uh, you, you know, I mean, because everything has been thrown upside down now and people are now changing the way that they're working. Now, if you're a factory worker, of course, you got to go in the, in the office. But if you're uh, if you're a white collar worker, uh, you know, companies now can hire people anywhere they want. So how does that potentially affect you and your model? That's that's a really great question, Joe, because uh, th there's actually people there in the uh, real estate circles that are actually talking about that in the big city centers like New York, uh, Los Angeles, and especially in San Francisco, where San Francisco is, has historically, you know, been known, you know, Silicon Valley and a lot of the tech workers have been going over. There. So, yeah. So if you're in an area and in fact, that. That same scenario you talk about, about people, you know, uh, working from home and all that stuff 
has been causing some of this migration to happen to other areas because now these technology workers that you know they're coding on a computer working out of a laptop or whatever you know now they're like geez i can't afford to live in san francisco you know i gotta drive two hours to go to work you know and then pick up the kids and all that stuff now they're now because of the technology and the shift with uh with the pandemic that's happened with the pandemic they're saying well you know hey i can i can work in uh you know i can go work in colorado now or i can go work in texas where it's you know uh uh the uh the cost of living is lower. I can buy a big house versus a little uh, apartment out in San Francisco. So those kind of things are 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 definitely, especially in New York. You know, New York and 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 some of the uh, cities in the Northeast, Chicago as well, are some of the areas that are seeing a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, population uh, migrate out of. And there's there's a huge migration towards the Southwest. Well. Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, I, I think the big loser in this whole deal is going to end up being some of these states like like New York, especially New York City, uh, you know, California, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, for the first time, California has lost a representative in Congress because that's they've had correct. such a big right. migration. Uh, that's a really, really big deal for the state and, and the impact on their taxes. And the thing is, the people who are leaving tend to be the higher wage people, not the lower wage people, although yeah, a lot of uh, retirees have taken their buckets of money from their house sale and moved to other places, which is disturbing their real estate markets and, and everything else. But um, but let's stay on the uh, the job growth thing and picking uh, ideal markets. So uh, I don't I don't know exactly how you put your finger on uh, addressing how the work from home thing is going to cause a problem, but it certainly uh, is something we all have to be aware of. Yeah, and uh, let me give you a couple of more resources here that'll help people. Uh, pinpoint where the job development is happening. There's uh, a, a magazine out there. It's called Site Selection Magazine. You can also go to SiteSelection.com. Okay, and they publish information for expansion planning decision makers. Okay, so you can go on there, and you can get an idea of kind of where a company is going to be setting up shop. What are they doing over there? And that's a great resource there because you also have reports on there as far as like where investment activity is happening. And another really great resource is a magazine called Area Development Magazine. Okay, you can also go to areadevelopment.com. And they consider themselves the leading uh, executive magazine covering corporate site selection and relocation. Okay. And you can go on there and you can kind of get an idea of where the flow of funds and investment. They actually have something that they call the gold and the silver shovel awards. Okay. And what that means, those are, um, those are projects that they recognize as, you know, uh, being huge economic drivers in a certain area, uh, you know, where big development and investment by a certain company is happening. Um, you know, like they, they, uh, I was just uh, reading there and they were talking about a, you know, a Taiwanese semiconductor that was investing $8 billion into a certain market. You know, that is a significant amount of investment for a city. Any city getting that stuff, let me tell you, there is going to be some very special things going on in there. Um, 
So those are two really great resources. Now, I, would, I would imagine on, on the same topic of those two resources, uh, commercial real estate brokers have you know, the ones that work across state lines and then are, are busy, you know, helping companies to move. They must have a pretty good sense about uh, traffic coming in and out of their city. So there's, if you were thinking about going to a city, I would call a commercial real estate broker, whether or not you needed to have any new real estate space, maybe you do, but I would, I would uh, you know, lean on some of these guys too. Is that, is that a good resource? They are. Um, in my experience, I usually find that those guys are late to the party. They know the information that everybody already else knows. Okay. Um, the, the information that I try to get to, a lot of times I call the brokers and I tell them information that they don't even know. Okay. Because I'm looking so far ahead. In fact, Sometimes these trends, Joel, um, you have to have a trained eye to see them. Let me give you a couple of examples, okay? Do you know the first year that Indiana hosted the Super Bowl? No idea. Okay. That was in 2012. But do you know what also happened in 2012? No idea. Indiana changed their laws to become a right to work state. And so what that means is that Indiana used to have a big auto manufacturing uh, sector. And after the Great Recession, you know, a lot of these uh, auto manufacturers, you know, they started closing down plants. A lot of plants got closed down in Indiana. And I suspect that's why, you know, the, uh, the, the government there in Indiana they try to do a big push to to become a right to work state, and basically what that just means is that if you know if you're going to work at an auto plant in Indiana, okay, typically you'd be forced to become part of the union, the UAW, the the auto workers union. Okay, now when you when it's a right to work state, you can still become part of the union, but now you at least have the decision-making right to become union or not, okay? And that's all they wanted. So when that was going on in Indiana back in 2012, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, protests from the unions, of course, and a lot of that stuff was happening and they were going to say it was going to, it was going to be bad for the state and all this stuff. Well, knowing that and knowing that they were, this is, they, they did a big push to try to get into the Super Bowl and, and host the Super Bowl for the first time in their history. That told me that that state and the government in that state was trying to do everything they can to promote their state as a business, business friendly environment. And so that's why we were starting to invest in that state and looking for opportunities there. And as a result, businesses came to Indiana jobs exploded it exploded so much so that there was not even enough people and uh you know on my properties out there i would routinely travel out there and you would see billboards advertising you know 17 18 bucks an hour for warehouse workers on the radio they'd be you know ads hey we're looking for workers we pay 16 17 18 19 whatever you know, everybody was looking for workers because there just wasn't enough people. Now, because I have privy to information from applicants, okay, I had kind of an inside track of where people were coming from. And I would see people applying into our apartments, uh, 
that were coming from, you know, Chicago because they're trying to flee the uh, the crime and all the high taxes from Chicago. There's people coming from Detroit, Michigan, because they couldn't find jobs. You know, they're trying to come into Indiana because that's where all the jobs. There was people coming from Ohio, from Kentucky. And I distinctly remember this. This is this is a uh, here's an interesting little story here. I was actually in the management office on the weekend there. You know, everybody's gone and all that. And I get a phone call. I pick it up. And it was a truck driver. You just mentioned about these, these, these truck drivers, these freight guys. And this guy, he got paid a signing bonus because he had a special license where he could transport a certain particular type of cargo. He was there on, I think it called on a Friday evening or Saturday or something. I can't remember exactly. But he needed to get an apartment by Monday. Okay, and I was like, "Oh, this guy, this guy's gonna get locked in." I, I already pre-qualified. I knew he made good money, and all that. I so I said, "You know what? I'm actually here. There's nobody here, but I'll show you the apartment. You come in on Saturday. I show I show him an apartment. He dropped off. The, he signed the application, the fees, and all that stuff by Monday. My people had him qualified. He was signed up by by, by the end of the day Monday. He had his apartment. <laughs> you know that that's kind of a fascinating uh, concept is to. Um keep a careful eye on the political uh, landscape because, you know, you were right. You know, what Indiana did was job friendly and that says a lot about their pro growth stance and in, in, into the future. And, and that ends up being a, a leading trend as well, you know, kind of a leading indicator. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. And, and I have to say, I'm, I'm really, uh, really impressed. You have really coughed up a lot of stuff. I mean, we're always looking for the inside track, the best, smartest and fastest way to get something done. And, and I got to tell you, you absolutely uh, provided the inside track with resources, with ideas. And uh, this, this was quite fascinating. So Omar, I really appreciate you uh, coming on board and sharing this stuff and uh, you know, and just uh, being part of this. And, uh, even though you do mostly real estate, every one of these ideas is business friendly and therefore, you know, for anybody who's looking to expand their business. So uh, we'll make sure and have all your contact info in the show notes. And uh, man, this this is just a lot to digest. Yeah. Th yeah thank you very much for having me, Joe. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed sharing this stuff because uh, um, this is this is something that in my company I'm 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 the lead on, and it's something that for me it's it's very enjoyable. I I love traveling to the other areas and getting boots on the ground, and I and I love seeing how the dynamics of how these cities and these markets grow, how they change, and all that. It's 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 a topic that is very fascinating to me, and it's fun to. Well, I'll tell I'll tell you what you and I are going to have to uh, you know debate this uh, you know over a beer in the future because this is really. This is really cool. This really is fascinating material to me. So thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate having you. Thank you, Joel. Anytime, man. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. 
Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.